But ultimately, it all comes down to widening our capacity and practicing letting love in, practicing giving and practicing receiving. And it it takes time. We have to go slow with ourselves in order to actually let that be. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. This show is meant to be a guide for you. We're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. Such a really beautiful conversation. Very deep, very powerful. I think it's going to serve you. Before we dive in, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, we're doing our next retreat, September 10th through 12th in Boca Raton, Florida at the resort in Boca. And it's going to be so nourishing. If you'd like to grab your spot, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. And until the 15th of July, there is a discount. Also, if you want to be a part of my meditation membership, it's only $10 a month. You can cancel at any time. And this gives you meditations that you can do with me every single day throughout the month so that you feel that you have that support in breaking away from the pattern and disrupting that which keeps you limited and designing what feels like your best day ever. If you want to join that, go to kathyheller.com slash membership. So today we have Shalina Ayana. She's here. She's the founder of Rising Woman, an international bestselling author and spiritual writer. Many of you may be familiar with Rising Women, which started out as a place for her to share her writings about inner healing. It now has over 3 million readers. She also teaches programs and courses about building stronger relationships and understanding yourself better. And last year, she released a beautiful book called Becoming the One, Heal Your Past, Transform Your Relationship Patterns, and Come Home to Yourself. It's a transformational inner work journey to heal lifelong relationship patterns and reclaim your power over your life. This is such a valuable resource if you're tired of abandoning yourself, if you want to make it past your past and clear the path for healthy, conscious love. I just think that this is something we could all use, so go get yourself a copy. Shay has been through so much, and I'm so impressed by how she's been able to rise. Just keep soaring above it and helping other people transform their own lives. She's so grounded. She's so present. And it's been such an honor to speak with her. Without further ado, please welcome the phenomenal Shalina Ayana. I'm so happy that you came on, Shalina. Thank you so much for making that time. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it was a little bit of a a finagle to get me on the show finally (laughs) with new motherhood. (laughs) Well, you're doing all all the good things and you're somehow finding time to take care of yourself and share with the world things that can take care of themselves. So that's all amazing, juggling all that. Before we get into your most recent book, I just want people to have a background on who you are and what makes you come alive, what makes you come to this work. So just give us a little insight of, because there's such a rich history in your life, but what would you share with us that led you to even being so focused on this as your work? What led me down this path really was my own 
childhood trauma. I think that happens for a lot of us. For me, it was, you know, growing up with a very young mother who really struggled with her mental health and also with addiction. And um, so I spent a lot of time in my very early years in and out of foster homes and experiencing all sorts of different environments. And then, you know, later ended up essentially just kind of being a street kid and, you know, struggling with my own addiction and abuse and things like that. And so so intense. It was very intense, but it's funny when you're in it, somehow things be feel so normal, you know, and that's also what led me to do this work is as a young adult, my normal for relationship patterns was really chaotic and unsafe. So it sort of got to a point where I hit rock bottom in every way, just everything in my life just fell away. And I realized that there was still a very young little girl grieving inside of me that really needed to heal. And so I embarked on that journey. And around that same time, I began writing and I created Rising Woman. And, you know, my mission really is to support people in just having healthy lives and healed families. And so a lot of my work and my training has been in attachment and uh, somatic work and inherited family trauma. And along those veins, you know, and attachment is really my favorite subject. (laughs) I mean, I feel very blessed that I'm sitting here and I get this one-on-one time with you because it's, it's something I've always been looking at in my own life. Mm -hmm. And recently very, very much aware that there's only so far I'll let myself be intimate with people. And that has to do with how I kind of like split off from things. And so of course, then we'd have this conversation today, right? Everything's always an echo. So I mean, we could just dive into the book because so much of this will come up in the conversation around the book. So the book, Becoming the One, Heal Your Past, Transform Your Relationship Patterns and Come Home to Yourself. Let's just start to dive in. Okay. So in the sort of macro sense, what were you hoping people would walk away with after reading it? Uh, A new and more connected relationship to themselves. I think when we hear Becoming the One, especially with the one, we believe that there is this external person, you know, this spiritual soulmate, this other half. And, you know, I'm all for romance. I'm very, I have Venus and Pisces. I'm very romantic. (laughs) And, you know, I believe my husband is my one, if you want to call it that, but there is this element of lack of ownership for our lives and lack of deep connection with ourselves. And so becoming the one was really designed to help people build that foundational relationship and know who they truly are. Because without that, we really can't be in any authentic relationships. So all of our other relationships, whether they, you know, falter or they flourish, they depend on how connected we are to ourselves. Yeah, it's so true. Everything's a hologram, right? I mean, it really is amazing how we're just constantly seeing the evidence of what it is that we believe about the person based upon how we're seeing ourselves, how are we're seeing our identity, how we're seeing our connection to this world, to life, to God, to reality. I mean, it's just so much goes back to finding ourselves, and that makes a whole lot of sense. So when you talk about attachment, I mean, it's a really big topic. It's a topic that people know a little bit about now, sometimes enough to be dangerous, sometimes a lot. What do we want to understand about attachment that could help us today? Like in listening to this podcast, like someone could actually get a little bit of relief in their life after this episode, because they understand what about attachment would you say? Well, the first thing that I want to clarify is that this whole idea that we should be completely independent or that it's needy to want a partner or that once we're in a relationship, we should be meeting all of our own needs and we shouldn't be depending on another person. Wipe all of that off the table. Let's just get rid of that because none of it is true. And I think that there is really an overswing into the wrong direction. We see this a lot, right? When Whenever we come up with new ideas, we go from one end of the pendulum to the other. We see it in politics everywhere we go. It's of course. all the way here, all the way there. And somewhere in the middle, we find a little bit more balance. We find a little bit more truth. And so while this interdependence is really where we're hoping to get to what we've done in our culture is we have swung so far into ultra independence that we've lost sight of how deeply we are wired to connect, how much we need each other, 
how normal it is to want a partner, how normal it is to seek comfort when we're not feeling good or when we're feeling sad. So I think when I say that, a lot of people are surprised because they're like, what? I thought in conscious relationship, you're supposed to be needless. Um, So that's really a big, big one that I would start with. And, you know, the foundation of that in attachment is that when we're small, our nervous systems as infants don't actually have the capacity to self-soothe or to self-regulate. We rely entirely on our caregivers. Hopefully they have a regulated nervous system and they help us to co-regulate. So that means that when we're upset or when there's something that we need, we're actually relying externally on another person to teach our nervous system how to be secure. We don't do that on our own. And many of us didn't get that. And so there's two types of results that we get from this parenting style, which is often, you know, neglectful, either unconsciously or sometimes sadly purposely, but that that's like a little bit more trauma-based, right? When we're talking about abuse, that's just straight up neglect. But often what we find is that we have anxious attachment style or avoidant attachment style. And of course there's some nuances there, but one is we're becoming anxious because the warmth and the nurturance was inconsistent. Sometimes it was there, sometimes it wasn't. And then we have avoidant where there's just a consistent neglect. And then what happens is we decide to date each other. (laughs) So when we become adults, right? And what we're doing is we're seeking that familiar pattern in the nervous system, which is what you said, you know, we're seeking what we know as our known reality. And so it is possible to create earned secure attachment. And we do that in many of us in our adult years by learning how to be in relationship with ourselves and then to widen our capacity to give and receive love which is not easy, but there is a way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear you lay all of that out, but then the fact that you have the story in your past that you told us about, and you were able to do that. Can you describe to whatever extent you're comfortable, your own relationship with what it was like for you and then what you started to become aware of and then what courage it took for you to I guess, choose something other than the pattern. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. When I was young, you know what? I think when I was really little, I was really actually quite sensitive. I was a very tender little being, you know, very open and very loving and empathetic and feeling the pain of the world. But quickly, you know, by the time I was 12, probably I already was very, very guarded. I had a lot of defenses up. You know, I was running on the streets with, you know, kids that were 17, 18, 19 in and out of jail. I'm doing drugs, drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes. We're engaging in criminal activity. (laughs) I'm 12, you know, so my known reality, my environment at that time is not one that encourages vulnerability. You have to be tough and guarded and not show your hurt in order to survive in those types of environment. And so, you know, I learned that very early on. And in addition, you know, there was a lot of abandonment, unfortunately, with my mother, because she was wasn't able to be that warm mother figure to me, because she didn't have the capacity. And so there's a lot of abandonment in my early years, like physical abandonment. And so my heart was closed Mm -hmm. and I was very scared to show anyone my tenderness. So I just became hard and angry and defensive and I wouldn't let anyone in. I was a fighter. I think I was 13 years old when I had a police officer assigned, especially to me, because I was known as the AWOL kid because I had become ward of the government, which is when government takes custody, you no longer have like a a human parent guardian. You're just like have a government body that's your guardian. And I was always running away. So I was just known as the AWOL kid. And I had a police officer and she would even send me birthday cards because she knew me so well. (laughs) And that was, you know, that was who I was early on. And I carried that fight and that survivor energy with me through most of my early teens and my adult life. You know, I I struggled with self-abuse, with sexual abuse, with drug addiction, all of those things because I wasn't in connection with myself and I didn't know really what it meant to be safe, to be loved. And yeah, I ended up in a very abusive relationship when I was 19. And then I ended up marrying somebody when I was like 20, 
four years old. And it was at that point when the relationship crumbled and I felt as if the whole world had just been ripped from beneath my feet. And I remember feeling so much pain, like pain that I had never felt in my entire life. But at that moment, I was also having these flashbacks of being three and being dropped off at a foster home and having these really visceral experiences of being very small. And that's when I realized, oh, this is actually not about this in this instance at all. This isn't about that person. This is really about me and the work that I have to do with myself here. And so that inspired me. And so that's when I began doing deep healing work. I began doing, you know, rebirthing breath work. I began doing plant medicine ceremonies like multiple times a week. I was doing shadow work and transpersonal therapy, mother work, all of it really. And that's really what propelled me down the path to realize that I hadn't learned how to be vulnerable ever and that who I actually was underneath all of those defenses and under all of those guards was this really sensitive, intuitive, wise being that was just not allowed out, you know? And so it was really this experience of peeling back the layers. You know, I know we hear this all the time, like the analogy of peeling the onion and it's so cliche, but it's so true. And really how I see myself doing this work is just, you know, you're just constantly peeling back the layers until you get to the precious gem inside, which is your essence. And that's like the truth of who you are. You know, as a new mom, I see my daughter with, you know, her essence. And I'm like, my job is to preserve that and protect that, to not decondition that essence out of her. And yeah, it's a really special honor to be doing that, but it makes me realize just how far we have come, you know, most of us from that beautiful innocence that we are all born with. I mean, it's really extraordinary. And I know you, you've you heard that, you know, in different words. It's just amazing that you've taken this road to recovering your full alignment, embodying what's real after all of that. Any one of those things could have broken somebody. Mm-hmm. And there could have been a million reasons why you wouldn't even be sitting here right now. You might not even be here, you know? So it's, it's incredibly courageous that you had the ability to be, you know, in excruciating pain and keep going. And I think whether people relate to little T trauma or big T trauma, just the vulnerability in the way you share that. And also the reality that we all have shadow sides. I think we can all relate to aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember for myself, when my husband and I met and I was like 27 and we started to date, we broke up for a week. And then we, that week turned into almost a year that we were broken up. And that first week, I remember feeling that my therapist said to me, if you need me in between now and the next session, you could call me because she saw how I was. And I would actually not be able to go like an hour without calling her. And I felt like if I went to the emergency room, they would be able to see it physically, the amount of pain I was in. And I had the experience similar to what you were describing in one part of what you said, because it was the awareness of all the years of grieving I hadn't done. It was the awareness of all the ways in which my mom's mental health issues, my parents' divorce, and all the things that... I had just kind of white knuckled through came literally right to the surface and I couldn't exist. I was like, I'm a actual nervous wreck. I'm so anxious and I'm so unhappy in my skin. I can't go an hour without calling this woman and it's not fair and I have to do something about it. And so uh, just then somebody invited me to a silent meditation retreat mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it sounds like a great idea. Oh my God. I thought I was going to die. Like <laughs> I was gonna total, say. total panic attack. Like I felt like somebody was ripping my skin off like piece by piece. That's how unequipped I was to sit with self. Mm-hmm. And it was the best thing for me at the time. Mm-hmm. And it led me to finding my way home, as you say. So yeah. I can't say that I understand you because that's really 
ridiculous. And like, I totally understand. Like, no, you don't, you couldn't, but I get pieces of where I relate. Right. And that is viscerally painful work. Like that is like to be able to sit there and hold your hand over that fire. Oh my God. Yeah. What was the first thing? I'm just so curious because you talked about like drugs and sexual abuse and criminal activity. And then you're like, and then it was like breath work. And what was the beginning? Like, what was the first Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb? What was that first thing that you were like, wait a minute, there's some healing light this way. I'm going to start moving towards this path. What was that beginning? What was the first light through the clouds? Mm -hmm. Truly, it was like a voice just dropping in that said, you need to heal your inner child. Like this is about three-year-old you. It just came as bright as day. And that's truly, that's how I experience a lot of things now. Like I get a lot of just clear messages, you know, and I I believe that they're just messages from spirit and it's just, here you go. Here's here's such a gift. And so I did, I went right into doing transpersonal therapy and doing mother work. And then that's when I began doing breath work. And I also at the, basically at the same time, I just had medicine ceremonies constantly. And I had been sort of working with certain medicines already, but then I began really diving in and it was really transformational for me. And I think it was about, it was only about seven or eight months. I was doing hours and hours of that work every single week. Hadn't gone on any dates. I wouldn't even look at another human being that asked me on a date. And then I met Ben, who is now my husband, and something just compelled me to be close to him, you know, and I even resisted at first. I was like, no, like I'm not dating. And I wasn't planning to date anyone for years. And he actually wasn't planning to date anyone for years, but it was like the moment we were in a room together. It's like our bodies just knew each other and I couldn't not be with this person. And so we actually ended up going into the work together, like from day one. So like three months into our relationship, we were doing deep Tantra and therapy together. And then we began working with plant medicines and going to ceremonies together. So it was just a really beautiful start to our relationship, but also very intense because of course, there's no holding back when you're going in from that angle. Uh, but I really did go from zero to 60. And that's also kind of why I do the work that I do and that I create the programs that I create now, because I have a very intense, fiery way. Like I can really just go into things, but I also look back and see a lot of the ways that I could have been more gentle, you know, with myself, or I could have received more gentleness in my path. And so that's when I really began studying somatic work and and nervous system work and weaving that into everything that I do um, because I didn't realize how much the nervous system patterns, even if you work on the mind and you know, all of the things, the nervous systems, the pattern is there, you know, Ben and I had been together for four and a half years and all of a sudden everything in me was like, run, get out. It's time to leave. And I would just be on a walk with him. And I'd say to him, you know, I can feel the cells in my body trying to go in the opposite direction, even though like, I want to be here. I know that we're safe. I know that this is a good relationship. My body doesn't know that. And it's like, I'm fighting myself daily. I'm fighting my ego. I'm fighting my mind. That's making up all sorts of stories of why I should leave because my body is just not on board. And it took me a year of deep somatic work to unwind that. And now I don't experience that, but I realize how often we're self-sabotaging or we're really just running from everything good in our lives because our bodies are just so not on board. They're like, what is this? I don't understand safety. I understand chaos. So give me more of that. (laughs) I mean, what you just said, it just pours like healing over me because I'm older than you. I I'm guessing that you're I'm 35. Late, I was going to say early thirties. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm 43. So I'm almost a decade older than you. And no one has ever said that to me, what you just said. And I mean, I've been like, Shalina, like roll up your sleeves. Like I'm like in, you know, I'm all in, I hear anything that has to do with healing. I'm like, where do I sign up? Right. So I've been on the path, but what you just said is really 
a piece I feel like I haven't heard that I really needed to hear. And I hope that our audience is feeling this through the whole conversation, but yeah, I've been in the middle of hypnosis lately. I mean, I've been often on therapy since I'm 12 and then I, I've done everything like all all the things I can find to do. Right. Breath work is amazing. But what you just said is so important because I'm pretty good in terms of being at a point in my life where I can understand my mind and know when I'm witnessing this avatar called Kathy Heller. And I go look at her right now. Oh, there she goes. She's in the program. She's in trance. And last night I was having this really interesting experience with myself because I was trying to sit my body down. I was trying to calm my body down. And even though mentally I was aware and I have the tools to know this is so fascinating. Like I'm a witness. I'm having the drone view of what this program is doing. I literally started to like rub my arms and like put my hands on my chest and be like, wow, because I had had my six-year-old, I have three daughters. She and I had a little thing yesterday, which is really unusual the way it went down yesterday. It was like, that had never happened. Like she It doesn't really matter what the details were, but she was so dysregulated and I did something that I was scared, like that we were both, like I had to set a boundary with her and I, oh, like it's hard for me to do that. Yeah. And so even though that whole thing with her lasted maybe 90 seconds, the way it went down later that night, I was feeling last night how There's something going on here that no matter how much I know intellectually, this is a hell realm. Like my body is going through a hell realm. And I thought, gosh, how much more so for people who haven't even been sitting like I have for 12 years in meditation every day where they don't even yet, they can't even hold on to like the witness realm. Right. And even with this being able to witness, I mean, and I did it, I pulled out my meditations. I was like, doing stuff. And I was spun. And so what do we need to understand when those things happen, right? Short of being able to like do somatic work for a whole year, although that sounds like something everyone should do, (laughs) but what is one thing to consider when you feel this? Oh my God, I got to get out of here. Oh my God. My body is freaking out. What are some things to go to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, even to notice that your body's freaking out, that's a really, it's actually a really good thing to notice. I think a lot of us, we try to approach these matters with our minds and we, you know, even meditation, which is a beautiful thing to cultivate. And it's a beautiful practice to have that witness consciousness. And when we're in these triggered states, we actually need to drop back into our bodies and learn how to be with the sensations so that we can gear down or come back, whatever is happening, we're either overactivated. So we're like way up here, or we've completely frozen and we've shut down and we've left and our nervous system is in a freeze state. We need to come back online. And so when you said, you know, oh, my body's freaking out, that's the first step actually is to notice what is happening in my body. Like what's actually going on right now? What sensations am I feeling? Where are they located? And this is a practice that I have in you know, I just created a new somatic program for relationship anxiety. And all of it is based on, you know, how do you regulate your nervous system and get yourself back into a more secure attachment style. And one of the main things that we can do every day is very simple. It's the body scan, right? It's like, what what am I feeling? Where am I right now? What's something in my environment that I can notice? You know, where are the sensations located? What feelings are there? Do they have a temperature? Do they have a color? Do they have a shape? I have a a meditation that walks you through that. It's like more of a visualization really. But then the other one that you could try, which is very simple, and you can do this on your own anytime, is to just bring yourself back to center, is to notice something that you can see, something that you can hear, something that you can smell, something that you can taste, something that you can feel. Just bringing yourself back to center. And that's the beauty of doing somatic work. And it's so simple that people don't believe it at first. 
they're like, well, how, how is this the key? But I've become almost fanatical about it, honestly, because I have just experienced so much liberation from it. And what I've seen is that anyone who's stuck in a pattern and is like brilliant, they've done so much deep work, they're master meditators, you know, there's someone like you who's just, they've done the work, but there's just this little piece that just won't unlock. The somatic work is often the answer. And the great thing about that is that it's very easy to do because we'll have bodies. <laughs> I mean, it makes so much sense. Everything that you're saying, it feels like I want to run and take your program. I, I love that you have this somatic work coupled with being in a couple, like with a relationship, because that's what you, what you were describing as walking down the street and everything's fine in your whole body's like, I'm supposed to leave now. That's me in my relationships. And it's exhausting and it's very painful and it's really scary when it happens because you start making plans in your head and you're like, what are you doing? Why are you about to blow up your life? What do you, why are you doing this? And to understand this whole extra part, because I must be ready to call this in because even though I know the words, somatic words, I know a little bit about it. I've done some work there. This feels really right. That like, it can only take you so far to orient to your mind in a certain way. And then, yeah. you know what it is also, it's like something about meditation, which I think can be both really beautiful and really a good escape is you can leave this 3d realm. Yeah, exactly. And so that feels really sweet, but then what happens is you skip over the ways in which your nervous system has like attached to certain patterns mm-hmm. And so you just keep like a tug of war going and you're helping me see that. So you started with this, you used to call it trans transpersonal therapy. It's essentially, you know, we're blending like spiritual work and psychology together. And it's a lot of it is rooted in shadow work. It's very Jungian actually. So I kind of started on the Jungian path. So you could say I almost started like very far out okay, uh, and then sort of came all the way home to the nervous system. And I do a blend of that now, but primarily like I really do focus on attachment and nervous system work because to me it's just the most powerful work and, you know even when you're talking about like leaving the realms with the meditation I mean that's just what we do but then when we're a monk or we're a nun and we're living on a mountaintop that's fine you know we can easily become enlightened but actually if we're going to be in relationship we have to be in our bodies right and like most of us want to be in relationship And it's so funny that we're designed to be in relationship and yet relationship is so freaking hard for so many of us, but it doesn't actually have to be. It's just so many of us, we didn't really get that secure attachment foundation. And so we're figuring it out now. And for those of us who can even be in a relationship, that's like one step toward working on it in a relationship. The truth is, is so many of us were, you know, addicted to dating apps. We're constantly swiping on people and then getting into these really uncomfortable patterns that keep repeating, or we're so socially nervous and awkward that we can't even get onto dates because we're too scared to connect with other people, or we can't get past the three month mark with somebody because we keep blowing it up and we don't know why, or the same type of person keeps entering into our lives and betraying us. And all of that is nervous system related. And it's not our fault. We're not to blame. It's not about blame. It's just our capacity at the moment. And that is something that we actually can change. It's so incredible to hear you lay it all out because you leave no stone unturned. You kind of like really just named all the various things that can just torture people. I mean, for years. And I feel like I have my own version of that inside of my marriage, right? Where I just go into my own pattern. So if you're saying that that can change and you're doing this work, obviously you've seen it change in your own life. What are some of the things that you teach in the book, a little taste of ways that we can make it better? How can we make that better then? One of the first things that we do is we start with looking at our past, which is obviously not the most fun always, but it's really important to do because when we can understand our earliest conditioning, when we can understand what that script is that we're living from, then we can also ask ourselves, you know, what beliefs, what rules, what family rules am I carrying with me now that don't actually work for me, that I didn't actually choose for myself? What is my inner child's essence really like? And what do they really need? And who am I and what do I actually value? 
And if we look at values, which is in the book as well, there's a whole chapter on core values. We can see that even in our worst relationships or even in the relationships that we might regret, we were always leading with some value that we had. It just might not have been the other values that were needed in order to actually make a relationship work. But we can learn a lot about what we value by looking at our past relationships and seeing what we were prioritizing in that moment. And often it's what we didn't get when we were kids, right? It's those needs that were really desperate to be seen, to be loved, to be heard, to be cared for, to be respected, you know, but then we end up chasing it. We end up chasing it or we end up running away from it because we don't want to be smothered because we don't know what it's like to just be in a healthy relationship. And so there's this pathway that I take people through of looking at your past, making peace with it by really, you know, getting in touch with that divine inner mother and inner father within you. So creating that separation, that individuation, and then really seeing the essence of innocence in our parents so that we can just become that nurturing guiding force within ourselves. And then we go through to, you know, rebuilding our framework for what is a relationship? What is a conscious relationship? Yeah, it's really, really powerful. And I'm so glad you're doing this work. Mm -hmm. And recently I had a conversation with my hypnotherapist and she said, I want you to go into this round room and there's a thermostat on the wall, but it's for trust. And I want you to see where it's at. And she's like, don't judge it. Just wherever it is, turn it all the way up and just breathe into that. Yeah. And I realized this is so obvious, but I hadn't fully put it together consciously that my little being, this person who I was growing up, stopped trusting really on some level my parents because there was so much chaotic stuff and some actual abandonment, some like emotional abandonment. And I just was like, oh, if I don't trust, I don't have to be intimate. I don't have to be close to anybody. And so if I don't trust, then I don't receive. And then if someone is trying to break that down, I'm like, hold up, wait a minute, right? There's like that beautiful scene in Goodwill Hunting. There's this moment where he's, you know, he's been on his own and it's been really tough and he gets this therapy and Robin Williams character is like a really good person. And he like goes to give him a hug and Matt Damon's like, all right, thanks, but no, thanks. You know, I got it. And he's like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, 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 thanks. And then he's like, not you, man, like F off, like, no. And then he starts crying and he's like, why would you do that? Like, why would you go and do that? You know? And it's like all he wants in that moment, obviously he wants the hug. Yeah. But it's so painful to be held. Yeah. And my first therapist in college said to me when I was having this come up for the first time in my first serious relationship, she said, if you were a burn victim with third degree burns, what would be kinder for me to hold you tight or stand six feet away? Mm-hmm. So if that's an experience that someone is having, let's just take that one experience. Mm-hmm. What have you learned that's helped you with that? Well, I mean, what you're describing is like a classic case of anxious avoidance, right? It's the come close, but, but get away from me. Right. It's like, I want you, but I'm going to test you until the straw breaks. So it's like, I'm in my pain and I'm going to tell you to go away. But really what I'm saying is please love me. And there is this push pull that we have in our nervous systems that we're just not letting it in you know, and it's just largely unconscious. And so what I found is like, whether you're anxious or whether you're avoidant or you're pushing love away, it's actually all the same. Like whatever the label is, it's just, it's all anxiety and it's all fear of receiving love and it's fear of vulnerability. And there's good reasons for that. We needed that protection at that time. That's how we adapted. It's how we stayed safe. But ultimately it all comes down to widening our capacity and practicing letting love in, practicing giving and practicing receiving. And it it takes time. We have to go slow with ourselves in order to actually let that be. But that's why so many people are addicted to chaos. Like I, I think I, I went to eight elementary schools in seven years when I was a kid, eight in seven years. So it's like, I never stayed in one place. I think I probably lived in 30 places before the time I was 16 you know, so my nervous system was just wired for 
constant change. So I would notice that when I get too comfortable, I would just decide to up end my life and I would just want to move, just change everything, you know? And so then I learned, okay, what's a healthy way that I could deal with this urge in me. So instead of uprooting my life, you know, once I hit my mid to late twenties and I was with Ben, I was like, I got to get a handle on this urge. I got more aware. So then I would start to plan things like exciting adventures or trips, or I would redecorate my house. You know, I would change everything in the environment, but I would keep the things that really mattered, right? Which is my family and the people that I love and the things that create stability. And so we can transmute that energy in a way and rewire those pathways until we no longer get that urge. Like we don't have it anymore, or it shows up very small and in a really easy, gentle way. Like, oh, I just like to redecorate my house sometimes instead of like, I just have this strong urge to burn the house down and leave everybody behind to go live in the woods alone. And, you know, because I had that all the time. That was like my mode whenever I would get triggered was like, F all you human beings. I'm going to go live in a cabin in the woods and never see another soul again. But obviously... You know, the opposite is what I actually wanted. And so I had to learn how to create that, which I did, thankfully. And hopefully people that are doing this work with me and with you will be able to do that too. Like, that's my hope. I feel like if we change the way that we relate and if the way that we raise our families and the way that we interact with the people we love, that is enough to change the world. Like, it's not politics that's going to do it. It's do we love our families, you know? No, of course. I always say the most political thing you can do is in your own living room. You know, it's like, if you really want to make the world better, like, obviously, like, let's start with your house and we'll start with your neighborhood and all of that stuff. And it's so amazing how self-assured you are. And there's such a resonance when you talk, like you can feel like you've really embodied this, but isn't there a part of you that's like, I'm only 35, God willing, I'll live till a hundred and I have to like battle this for the rest of my life. Does that sometimes like just feel really overwhelming? Or do you feel like you have so many good tools that doesn't scare you anymore? You know, I don't experience it anymore. And that's the beautiful thing about healing. I'm not saying like I'm perfect. I'm not saying I never get pissed off at my husband or that I, you know, I never, you know, get grouchy, but I I don't live with this constant state of, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't have the abandonment wound knocking at my door. I don't have this urge to run. It really has integrated because of the work that I've done over so many years. And I'm really grateful for that. So now I feel very at ease. I mean, I just had a a new child. So of course we're now we're, we're dealing with all sorts of new things, new dynamics, new agreements. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to say that, you know, which is why I do the work I do. What's why I create the programs that I create, because ultimately I, I do know what it's like to suffer. And I don't want that for everybody. It right. sucks to live like that. Right. right. And I, I do understand what you're saying. Like, I feel like the whole reason both of us are raising our hands to be in this kind of work is because it does work, you know? And like, yeah. as much as I still find lots of contrast And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have to now there's a new monkey on my back, you know, for lack of a better thing. I I also still feel like my life is the stretches of time where there is well-being. Mm -hmm. It's just very much, not only has it increased, but it's like in technicolor than what it was. How you deal with it too is so different, right? Even how you're describing, which by the way, like you know, maybe ask me in 10 years, right? Because like you're three kids in and you have kids of very different ages. And when we have older kids and we have multiple kids, every single time we add somebody new to the family constellation, we're creating a hotter fire, right? So you're in a hotter fire than me. So like, I would hope that you have a little more going on, <laughs> because right. a little more coming up because that's how it works, you know? And, um, that's just how family systems work is especially being a parent, you know, it's kind of designed to bring to the forefront, anything that maybe we thought we had dealt with, but hadn't, that's just a natural built-in feature of our tiny little spiritual teachers. Last question. So many women will get into these kinds of conversations. And over the years, one of the things that's painful is sometimes they feel like they don't have the same in their partner, where their partner is not committed to the work. And you said, 
when we met, we both did this together. And I think for people listening, they can feel like, well, that was why, you know, that's easy for her to say because her person was willing to go through that stuff. But if somebody doesn't have in the, in this moment, if their person doesn't seem that interested in this healing work or what have you, how can they still make that relationship better if they've checked it all out and it's what they still want to choose, but they're worried. Like, does this mean it's never going to work? Cause this person's rolling their eyes at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I work with so many people who are single, like my freedom from relationship anxiety program, I'd say like more than half of the people are actually single because, you know, it's pretty common that sure it's hard to be in relationship when we're dealing with a lot of anxiety around relationship or fear of being in it. Of course. And ultimately, I mean, nobody can tell you whether or not the relationship's going to work. I will say for myself, the way that my husband and I go about doing the work isn't always the same. We have some different spiritual avenues that we go down and I do need a person who is engaged in spiritual work because I'm so deep in it. I don't know that everybody needs that. Not everybody needs a partner to do the exact same work as them either, but I think that there needs to be mutual respect and mutual receptivity and care. Like if your partner is hurting you with their actions or with their words or their behaviors, they need to actually be willing to take a look at that. And so the first step I think is always, you just have to go in and do your inner work and make some of those changes yourself and get into a more regulated state because it's very disorienting when we are responding from our wound. It's so impossible to know and have to trust ourselves mm-hmm. when we're just triggered, right? And when we're in this anxious attachment pattern or we're, when we're in our avoidance, how can we trust that voice? So first step is really getting right with yourself, getting into a better place within yourself and just inviting your partner through your actions and through your words and through your boundaries around conflict right? Because that's how we make the first steps to change. Even if the person's not willing is you actually have to change how you show up in conflict. And then you have to set firm boundaries around what you will and won't accept. And over time, you'll see if you make the changes authentically and genuinely, and you're not keeping score and you're just tuning into a secure state within yourself, you'll know whether or not that relationship has the potential to grow with you, or if it's something that you've outgrown. And that's the only way to know. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. Just the coming back to cleaning up our own side of the street, you know, exactly. thank you so much for this conversation, for coming on, tell everybody where they can follow along with all the things, the courses, the book, the Instagram, what's the best place to just find everything that you're doing. So shalinaayana.com. I know this is quite a mouthful. So hopefully you have that in the show notes. And then also risingwoman.com is my website. And then I'm on Instagram as well. So um, if you go to at rising woman, that's sort of like where you'll find all of the relationship content. And then if you want a blend of the mom content, the food <laughs> and the relationships, that's on Shalina Ayana on Instagram. And my book Becoming the One is available everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's in most bookstores. I think it's being published in about 16 other languages. So I'm really excited about that. And yeah, you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Congratulations on all of your success and all the people that you're impacting. It's really extraordinary and especially knowing your whole path and it's beautiful. And thank you for the conversation. Yeah, this was beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story with me too. Thank you. All right. To be continued. How amazing is Shay? All right. Here are the takeaways. Number one, all of our other relationships depend on how connected we are to ourselves. Number two, you're just constantly peeling back the layers until you get the precious gem inside which is your essence. That's the truth of who you are. Number three, when we're in those triggered states, we need to drop back into our bodies and learn how to be with the sensations. Notice something that you can see, something you can hear, something you can smell, something you can taste, something you can feel. This will help you come back to center. Number four, we're not to blame. It's just our capacity at the moment, and that is something we can actually change. Number five, start looking at your past and making peace with it. Get in touch with that divine inner mother and inner father within you. By creating that separation, that individuation, and really seeing the essence of innocence in our parents, we can just become that nurturing guiding force within ourselves. Number six, when you understand your earliest conditioning and the script that you're living from, then you can ask yourself, what beliefs, what rules am I carrying with me that don't actually serve me? What is my inner child's essence really like? What does she really need? And who am I? And what do I actually value? 
Number seven, the first steps to change involve getting right with yourself, getting into a better place within yourself and inviting your partner through your actions, through your words and, and your boundaries around conflict. If you make the changes authentically and genuinely, you'll know that the relationship will grow with you or if you've outgrown it. Number eight, it all comes down to widening our capacity and practicing letting love in, practicing giving and practicing receiving. And it takes time. We have to go slow with ourselves in order to actually let that be. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I, I, it just means so much to me. We have so many good episodes coming up. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And if you believe that this is something that will help you and help other women, then please leave a review. If you can think of someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please text them the link or post about it or share it. If you want to come to my retreat in September, you can save your spot at the discount rate if you enroll before the 15th, go to kathyheller.com slash retreat. And finally, if you want to meditate with me throughout the month, you can join my meditation membership for just $10 a month. Go to kathyheller.com slash membership. I'll leave you with a song of mine. I love you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Joe